0: Hello and welcome to the podcast, Ella. Ella Law, I would love you to just quickly introduce yourself and let us know what you do, why you do it, and a little bit about yourself.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I will happily do that. So hi, I'm Ella. I am from Germany originally but I've been living in the UK for more than I haven't. I am a public health nutritionist by trade and intuitive eating counsellor and I've been in private practice for the past three and a bit years working with people who struggle a little bit with their relationship with food and their body image and want to feel better without restricting what they eat and what they can have. Um, Yeah, so I absolutely love what I do because I have seen the other side. Um, As I said, I, I was in public health. Um, and I disagree with so much of it now that it would just be the worst place for me to work in. Um, so I've, 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 come to the, I've come to the light, I've come to the other side um, through training with Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch um, and actually becoming a certified intuitive eating counsellor. And I do that work mostly online actually, because um, I'm a pandemic pre-pandemic planner and a post-pandemic actor because <laughs> <laughs> the idea was to kind of see clients in Kent where I live in Seven Oaks um, and then the pandemic happened and it all went online and it kind of stayed online for me so I yeah. do I see people from around the world basically.
0: It's given us so much freedom hasn't it?
1: Mm, and so much perspective and different kind of options for sure. Hundred, and
0: it's almost you know it, it makes things easier to fit in your day, and it just mm-hmm. yeah. But anyway, I do di- I digress. Um, mm-hmm. We, are, I am also an intuitive eating counselor, which um, I don't really talk about as much on the podcast because it is something that I don't really use in my work per se. I don't kind of do consultations um, purely about intuitive eating. Um, sometimes the the conversation will come with clients when I'm working with clients and certainly I'll talk to them about it but it's not something I want to force on them if they come to train with me certainly Um, but what I wanted to do today Ella is just to break down what the heck intuitive eating is so for (laughs) anybody that this is why Noom exists and you know no shame if you've ever tried noom we've all tried a um, hundred million diets but that's what they are their diets and noom is a diet and they i think it, it was a story a while back that they bought up all of the intuitive eating adverts on google so if you type in intuitive eating up comes noom so people are confused. What, you know, What is intuitive eating? Is it another diet? Is it the hunger and fullness diet? Or is it just eat donuts all day? That's basically the two perspectives that I've seen. Mm-hmm. That's what, you know, and it's very different in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little bit more widespread and spoken about and known about. But definitely in the UK and much of Europe, I think it's relatively unknown. So mm-hmm. how would you describe it to somebody who's maybe just, they've only heard of it through Noom? <laughs> how would you how would
1: you describe it no pressure um yeah so I would I would say without getting too technical it's a it's a way of reconnecting to your body um because a lot of the time we are solely and I mean that in our heads we haven't got a clue what hunger feels like we may probably know what it feels like to be absolutely starving and completely stuffed but anything in between we haven't got a clue um and also we're very very confused about all of the messages out there because you you know you open a magazine and you probably have two contradicting bits of advice in the same magazine you know eat that don't eat that you should eat at that time you shouldn't eat at that time Um, there's there's so much information out there and that's so so confusing so intuitive eating basically brings it back to you Um, And not in the sense that it's all your fault or it's all your responsibility, but in the sense of it's about your body and what feels good for you. So I'm all about eating foods that make you feel better and eating in a way that makes you feel less anxious and less um, obsessed about, you know, calories and particular foods and things like that so that you can really start trusting yourself again and that you can actually hear what your body wants and needs so in a nutshell I think that's what intuitive eating is all about it kind of is quite a holistic concept because it looks at sort of physiological size and psychological aspects and also the emotional side of of food and our relationship with food so it is really quite um quite broad and much much more than um, eating when you're hungry and stopping when you're full which a lot of sort of diets say and and um, advise when when they actually co-opt the term intuitive eating when they're making it all about yeah well but you still have to lose weight intuitive eating is not about weight it's about feeling good in your body and feeling the effects of food in your body
0: yeah and this is you know it is also it was created by two dietitians who I've got a massive interest in nutrition so I think that's something which needs to be said so they are not saying just eat whatever you like and don't pay any attention to the nu- nutrient content of anything um mm-hmm. they are saying first of all first of all let's check in with our bodies and try and look at our relationship to food and kind of You know, work work a little bit on our diet mentality and and the food rules that maybe we've adopted since we were kids. Mm -hmm. And just before we then add in the nutrition piece, because when you just start off down this road, you're not ready to add in that nutrition piece. You're just trying to work out what your body, you know, your relationship to food in general and trying to unpack all of those messages and stories that you've kind of grown up with. Mm-hmm. But when you start doing it, Ella, this is what I'm I'd love to sort of encourage people to even there's lots of free resources out there. And I'm sure you have some as well that you could offer people. Mm-hmm. Um, because it is once you start going down that road, you realize how many rules you actually have. Yeah. You might you might think, oh, I've I've got no issue with food. Yeah. Until
1: you go, ooh, yeah.
0: why why do I not eat that food? But I'll eat that one. And why? You know, it's interesting, isn't it?
1: Totally, yes. And I still find myself in that situation. Um, You know, I I, I still think, oh, wow, this is interesting. I wonder why that came up for me. And then you really Mm. have to explore or you know where did that come from where did that thought originate you know is is that a rule that I actually um, live by or is it just something that sort of stuck in my brain from years ago so yeah it it just happens all the time and I think when you when you um, become an intuitive eater and it's a gradual process especially if you know you've had years and years of of not eating intuitively of dieting of maybe um, eating in a disordered way or even having an eating disorder it's really difficult and it takes a long time and I think I think that's another thing to kind of say to people who are new to intuitive eating, it's not an overnight fix. You can't snap your fingers and suddenly everything falls into place. It's an ongoing process and it's a messy process and it can be quite challenging because you are challenging your own beliefs and some of those beliefs are part of your identity and that's really hard. But it is so worth it. So um, just as an example, I've got a client who uh, whom I've been working with for a while. And it's 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 literally a, a, a case of, you know, this has come up for me. Shouldn't I be past that? And I say, no, you shouldn't be past anything. This is amazing data acquisition. This is amazing because you're learning something from what you think is a step back. I see that as a step in the, in, 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 the, in the healing process, because you, you are finding out so much about yourself and your triggers and the things that work for you and the things that don't work for you. So I'd say intuitive eating is a lifelong learning process and it's never finished. It's not like there's an end goal that you have to reach. Um, and everyone that I know and I have worked with who has really embraced intuitive eating always says, even though they have those kind of negative days and the, the moments of doubt, they say, I will never, ever, ever go back to dieting, never gonna go back. I do want to do this because I know it feels it feels so much better. I've got so much more freedom. I feel liberated from all of these horrible messages that have been trying to tell me what to do. So um well apologies
0: for that. My phone just went off in the middle. Of- <laughs> I didn't even hear that. Ooh, um it's that's the problem with being <laughs> With podcasts, a bit live podcasts. Um, I absolutely hear everything that you're saying there. It's um it's a it's the weight gain is definitely something that people are concerned about when they start Mm -hmm. thinking about intuitive eating. Mm -hmm. Um, and I worked with a couple of clients um this time last year, and the first thing was, I don't want to gain weight. I'm happy I want to do intuitive eating, but I don't want to gain weight. Mm -hmm. Um which is completely understandable we live in a dieting culture where thinness is valued above all else you know it's and it's very understandable that some people not want to gain weight mm-hmm. so what would you say to that person mm-hmm. and because i know that through our training we've always kind of said put weight loss on the back burner mm-hmm. but that that maybe people could do but it is that idea of you know it's the internalized fat phobia isn't it but it is that I don't want to put on weight through this. Mm-hmm. And you know, they're still holding on to that. What I mean, how would you approach that, Ella? That's it's,
1: tough. It's, yeah, it's a tricky one because it's it's such a personal thing. Um, and I would say the first thing is I will completely validate that wish. Mm. Um and I always say to people from the outside, as you just mentioned, you know, can we Park this thought of losing, wanting to lose weight for a bit, while we explore um, all of the other things around intuitive eating, um, and then see. You know, you can always take it off the shelf if you want it. Still, there's no judgment from me that mm-hmm. you know I, I'm not. I, I have not got um, the authority to decide what you want to do with your body. You've got full autonomy, and that if that means that you want to try another diet uh, or you try to you want to try and lose weight then I'm not there to tell you don't. What I'm saying is look at all of the evidence that show that long-term dieting or dieting won't lead to long-term weight loss for the majority of people, and there is evidence for that. So whilst you may have a short-term result, if you want to call it that, and, and lose some weight, what are the consequences of that is it likely that it'll happen again as before that you will gain the weight back after dieting after a year or two is it likely that by wanting to lose weight you will have to exercise quite a lot and restrict your food intake quite a lot and is it likely that that will be um, making your life uh, more stressful and harder? Is it likely that that will bring up the anxiety that you maybe had around food? And then it's a sort of a, you know, making a list of pros and cons, I think. You know, if losing weight and being in a smaller body overrides all of that, if you say, I don't care about all of that, I just want to be smaller, I'm not here to stop you. I can't stop you. But if you say, actually, I want all of the other things, I still do want to lose weight, but the other things are more important. Then we can look at, well, how can we make you feel happier in your here and now body? What can we do to make it so that you can have a bad body day where you feel really negatively towards your body? But can we find some strategies so that you can move on and don't let that dictate your actions? We all, you know, everyone in every shape, shape and size body can feel negatively towards their body. I'm not talking about, you know, the systemic um, anti-fat bias that there is in the world that comes on top of everything else. But we can all feel negative towards our bodies. But what do we do with it? I think that's the problem. That's the question to ask. You know, what do you do with that? Can you move on? Can you say, okay, well, this is how I'm feeling. And then I'm moving on with my day. Or does that thought spiral and make you, behave towards your body in a way that's probably not very very nice and kind of and life. it's you know and as Evelyn
0: sort of often says and the least they often say it's about that, that self-compassion yeah, framework really is. and it is you yeah. know it's I think what you said at the beginning it's that tuning in so I talk to clients about that a lot how do you want to feel when you move in your body mm-hmm. how do you want to feel how mm-hmm. do you feel when you move how are you feeling not We very much push through Mm. and we, you know, we do what we should do. Mm. We shouldn't have that. We should eat that. You know, we've burned off this amount of calories, so we deserve to eat something. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of that language around that toxic Mm. messaging. It's kind of prevalent. It's everywhere. (laughs) If you take a second to take the blinkers off and have a listen, Mm -hmm. it, it is everywhere and it's quite hard to step off And do something different and I think that's where community is so important isn't it it's about finding other people who are going down this path as well and trying to kind of heal their relationship to food and trying to see things slightly differently but it's one thing that I was going to ask you is what about when women get together and a massive topic of conversation is bodied Is bodies and what their bodies look like what diet they're on what exercise regime they're doing how many boot camps they're going to don't get me wrong I love a boot camp I teach a couple of boot camps but how do you take yourself away from that without feeling isolated from the group or without do you know what I mean how do you not get involved in that conversation
1: Mm, oh that's such Mm. a hard one isn't it and I have found myself in that situation over the summer seeing friends and the the comments sometimes and and you just don't want to get into an argument with your friends all the time sometimes when the situation is right you can kind of challenge the comments and the discussion points a little bit but you can't always do that so I always say, just look after yourself in that moment and see what your bandwidth is. You know, if you feel comfortable challenging what was said, um, if it's a comment about someone's body or someone their their own body, sometimes people are so so awful about themselves, aren't Mm. they? Mm -hmm. They make such horrible comments about their own bodies. So maybe you feel like, actually, I want to challenge that. I want to I want to sort of say something about that. Or you might be in a place where that just doesn't feel great. And you could literally physically remove yourself from the conversation. Say, I just need the loo. I'm taking a phone call or whatever. And then join back later. Hopefully the conversation will have moved on. Or you could just kind of turn it around and say something like, "Right, can we talk about something interesting now?" Or maybe you could say, "Oh, guess what? I've just tried X, Y, and Z." Just change the subject completely and see if that if that works. And then, do you know what? If the conversation is so um, pervasive and everyone's just talking about that all the time, you may just want to take one of your closer friends aside and say, do you know what? This is really triggering yeah. me. This is really, doesn't feel safe for me to be in this conversation. And maybe you can have a gentle word with everybody to kind of take note of that. And to be completely honest with you, it is a co- triggering conversation for people who are not, you um, suffering from an eating disorder or disordered eating it is a, a triggering conversation for everybody because yes. when you talk about that you start comparing you start thinking i'm doing this wrong i should be doing this you should be doing that so it's not actually a helpful or healthy conversation for anybody
0: and this is you know i think it brings us swiftly sweetly onto the point that we are all so this let's talk about our set points uh, mm. our set point range mm. um we are not all meant to look the same and we are not meant to have the same bodies. And I think one thing that became so clear to me at the very beginning of my eat- intuitive eating journey, I needed new word. I needed new no. word. No,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I haven't worked one out yet. Just, I know. So, it's easy, um, isn't it? but it works.
0: <laughs> but I just sort of realized that my body wanted to be bigger than I was trying to force it to be.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I realized that actually it was happier. So I have absolutely have thin privilege and I'm in a straight sized body, um, but I was desperately trying to keep my body a certain size. And actually, it really wanted to be two sizes bigger than that. And once I just gave my body the freedom to actually do what it wanted and took care of it and nourished it and moved it in a way that was, you know, that worked for me, then it kind of felt like it fell into place a little bit. Um, in the in the sense that it feels like this is where I sh- my body feels happy. My body mm-hmm. feels happy here. Yeah. Um, so what would you say to that? Is that something? And that's what I encourage people to think about with intuitive eating. Your body will settle when you're giving it what it needs. Obviously, bodies change for life. But when you're giving your body what it needs and you're moving it in a way that feels good in your body, your body will find its happy weight. That's what I like to say, its happy weight. And that might be different than the weight you want your Mm -hmm. body to be because of the the messaging that is all around us, that we should be thinner and shrink ourselves consistently and, you know, waste our lives, you know, trying to shrink and quiet ourselves down rather than taking up space and standing proud. But Mm -hmm. um, Sorry, soapbox. But (laughs) (laughs) what would you say to that, Ella? about your set point. How would you is that is that something that you talk to clients about? Is that something that you leave for later in the conversation or
1: yeah I do talk to them about it. Um if it comes up um again it could be quite it depends on where they are in their on their sort of healing process, whether it's something that can be incredibly triggering for them or it's something that's actually really helpful information. Um I think I I agree with you that your body will settle in a range where yes. it's happy um and that there are two happies there's the happy that you have in your mind mm-hmm. and then there's the happy that your body thinks oh this is cool so and there can be very very different sometimes so it's it's about you know getting those two together and seeing you know how, how do those two tally up and how can we kind of make them work together um and the the range can, as you said, it can fluctuate over your lifetime. It can go up. Mm-hmm. Um, generally, it goes up. It very rarely goes down. Um, and it's it's about finding acceptance in the fact that the range has gone up. And then when you look at certain ages, you know, during puberty, um, children, boys and girls, they put on weight. They get ready for what's to come. Um, So the range changes in in certain times of of your life or perimenopause, you know, there is weight gain generally associated with that. And it's coming to terms with the fact that that's just your body doing what it's meant to do. Um, And it's so hard, isn't it, in diet culture, where everyone tells you, oh, no, you should still stay the same that you, you know, the, the body that is plastered all over social media you should all look like that when that's just not possible as you said all bodies are different and there's such a huge diversity in in body shapes and sizes um, but we all strive for just one particular look and that's just not the way we're designed
0: no um mm-hmm. and i we spoke before that i i work with um dr jan huber who's menopause nutritionist on instagram mm-hmm. And she talks about there's two peaks of body dissatisfaction throughout our lives. One of them is puberty mm-hmm. and one of them is perimenopause you when go. your hormones are fluctuating. And it's it's mm-hmm. almost good to remember that. Mm-hmm. So when you're approaching perimenopause to menopause years and you have this this new body dissatisfaction, just remember that that can also be hormone related. And due to the changes, the physiological changes that are going on in your body, that almost helps a bit to
1: mm-hmm. know that
0: that's, that will come up but I just wanted Mm -hmm. to talk to the fact that it needs to be normalized doesn't it the fact that you may well gain weight when you're a prepubescent child Mm -hmm. and when you're in perimenopause and that's actually not something to fix Mm -hmm. and that's what pains me so much because I see these young teens and preteens who their bodies start changing and they just want to fix it Mm -hmm. and And that's when the issues really can start. That's not the only reason. Obviously, eating disorders are incredibly complicated, Mm -hmm. but that can be a contributing factor, can't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, they probably get supported in their quest to break their bodies by their family, by their parents and by their peers. And it just exacerbates the whole problem Um, and and it makes it um, something to... To get applauded for. And I think that we really need to rethink how we deal with that kind of thing. You know, when someone tells you, oh, I've lost weight, everyone just runs and, and congratulates that person. But th- all of those kind of things that are um, seemingly innocent and seemingly a compliment, they all feed into this narrative that we all need to be thinner, full stop. Um, so it's all really very unhelpful. And you know, I, this is hundred
0: percent agree with you. And I think, with in terms of movement, you know, osteoporosis is a is a massive issue, um, and and increases in um, what's the word increases in likelihood. So you're more likely. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
1: um,
0: so when you sort of hit fifty and beyond, your risks increase. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm all about let's build strong bones. Let's work out to build muscle, to increase our muscle mass or at least maintenance. We're looking for maintenance because we want to protect our bodies. And, and that's, you, you know, there's got to be a, a point where we stop thinking about shrinking because it's not serving our bodies or mm. our bones or our joints. Or, our, And I think that's a, when when women start to get to a certain age and they start perhaps to feel achy joints or often then they'll think about strength training. And sometimes that's the access point that they need. Maybe they think, oh, I'll tone up or they'll, in inverted commas, or they'll think about, oh, this might change my appearance, but that's the access point that they need to start strength training. And once they're there, they might start loving it and feel better in their bodies. And then all the other benefits come.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: that's that's been a, a, an approach that I've seen with a lot of people. It's the reluctance to... Rush to strength training, but in case they put on weight
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and it's kind of that they only start thinking about it when all of a sudden, oh, joints start hurting, I'm getting a bit older, I actually want to feel resilient and strong in my body mm-hmm. um, so what I'm trying to encourage people to do is before that point comes, before you start getting sore joints, and before you start feeling achy in your body, yeah to sort of think about what would serve your body rather than how your body would look, which yeah. is
1: really hard to do, isn't it, Ella? Oh God, it is. Yes. And I think, you know, in an ideal world, I would want that for um, for younger people as well. A lot of people who um, approach me and, and, um, and start working with me are in their midlife, mm. um, having gone through decades of, having a a rocky relationship with food and their bodies. So I wish for so many people that they'd known what they know now um, and and wouldn't have had to go through that struggle for all these years. Um and, and start start looking after their bodies, like you said, with exercise, with strength training, but also with nourishing their bodies in a way yes. that is restrictive, um, a lot younger. And then, you know, they could go into midlife being a lot more in tune. You know, when you when you suddenly get hit with all of the perimenopause symptoms, you you think bloody hell, you know what's this? And then you look for things to do, and then you get so much information. Some of it is absolute bollocks, and some of it is actually quite helpful. But actually, you know, working out which is which is really difficult. And um,
0: what what is your? I'll give you a bit of time to think about this. What mm. is your pet peeve when it comes to? anything to do with the diet culture messages that we get because my pet peeve I'll tell you mine is the men belly bollocks oh, and okay. it's like oh does your HRT cause you to put on wit come to my hit class and I oh marshmallow belly I got an email about my marshmallow belly and how to fix it you know because mm-hmm. I'm over 45 and mm-hmm. It drives me frigging mad because this is not the time that we need to be restricting and eating less and moving more. This is the time that we need to really just listen to what our bodies need and nourish them and be kind to them and can talk kindly to ourselves, rest <laughs> our bodies. We need to rest and um but what that just drives me mad if I there might of messages I get about are you worried about your meno belly and I'm like stop yeah. it yeah <laughs> stop
1: oh it. I know I, I would I would the second that i mean i've got so many pet peeves around this that i can't even start to think of one but <laughs> but that that it's interesting because that's one that i have noticed recently i sort of um followed someone on instagram that i thought oh god she's got some really good points about the menopause and she's like proper she's a um i think she's a doctor and some some really interesting stuff and then there's this blast your belly fat challenge and I'm like no no what is happening this mm-hmm. is not something that we should be doing we should mm-hmm. just be looking after ourselves and the, the the belly fat is actually protective because protective this is it <laughs> right it's, it's a good thing it's our body yeah. looking after us our body doesn't want us to be poorly our body wants to look after us and it's you know it does it in ways that doesn't comply with diet culture unfortunately therefore we're in this continuous turmoil as in you know our body's doing what it should be doing but we need to you know we need to get rid of all of the extra fat we need to we need to do this that and the other that diet culture tells us so we're constantly fighting our own bodies and it's crazy but it's what's happening isn't it and it's just yeah i am with you it drives me nuts i think you've you've hit the nail on the head it's the fighting your body and i
0: think you know i think a lot of the reason i don't know well this is not based on any research but i think um a reason that women might be coming to you in midlife is that there's an element of just being so fecking done with diet culture and with constantly fighting our bodies. You know, there's a there's a point you get to where you're like, I'm just done with it now. I'm fed Mm -hmm. up spending so much time, Mm -hmm. you know, hitting my body when I could actually be chilling with my friends and reading a book and relaxing. you know, it's I think it's do you agree with there be an element of once you, you know, you spent so many years and maybe you have teenage Mm
1: -hmm.
0: kids, which can often be a reason you see it through a different lens. Yeah. And you realize that you don't actually want to do yeah. it anymore
1: yeah 100% yeah it's it's that that being fed up and having done it for too long it is quite hard because with it comes a lot of grief for the times yes. and the years yes. that you have spent being obsessed about it and all the things you may have missed out on so you know it's not necessarily an easy realization to come to but absolutely and yes a lot of people um that i work with have got children and they they are dead on not wanting history to repeat itself um, so they're doing it not just for themselves but also for their children so that can be um, a role model for them and, yeah. and help them through any kind of body image issues and eating problems um, and maybe even prevent them from happening because they are they're working on their own relationship with food and then they're modeling that to their children, which is which is beautiful. But just on the research point, um, one thing that I was going to add is that there is actually evidence that if you are slightly larger, especially when you get to sort of midlife, that's actually a protective thing. There's a U-shaped curve when it comes to um, mortality risks and, um, and weight. So when you're in the so-called... Um, uh overweight category I don't like using that weight uh, that that uh, word because you know over what weight whatever yeah exactly you know um just so that people understand what I'm talking about um you are actually protected against a lot of chronic disease and and um and health risks so you know we we don't hear about that do we
0: this is, you know, I had um, Dr. Charlotte Orr's on the podcast and she mentioned this as well, this exact mm-hmm. statistic. Mm-hmm. This needs to be shouted from the rooftops. I know. Yeah, you know, it really yeah. does, because that that should be our main focus, yeah, really. really. Yeah. You know, instead of shaming people for being on the BMI chart, which is crap, bollocks, bullshit, for being in the overweight category, I we know. should be saying, well, you probably have a, a higher... You can have a longer life expectancy than <laughs> yes. than people in the, in inverted commas, normal category. And that's, but every time this said person will go to the doctor, mm-hmm. they will be put on a scale and shamed for mm-hmm. being in that category. And that is what makes me so sad. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't make sense. No, if it research, doesn't. The research is there. Why are doctors and, you know, oh, that's, yeah. that's a rabbit hole, but... <laughs> Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely, yeah. yeah. That's another podcast episode, entirely, yes. isn't it? But yes, I, I completely agree with you. I think it's the it's it's an absolute shocking state of affairs. That um, you know, if you're in a larger body, you go to the doctor. Literally, they do not treat you. Um, for the thing that you're presenting with. But new weight loss advice, that is shocking. And it's very uneducated, because in fact, you know, they do not get any training in this. And that's something that needs to be changed so that, you know, the system works better, for sure.
0: So, Ella, I because I like to get personal on these podcasts, <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, no. I'd love to know. I know from a work perspective, there were certain points where you kind of you realized that you didn't want to go down the same route that you mm-hmm. were going down as a nutritionist. But um, personally, was there a moment that you kind of thought maybe I should look at my relationship with food or maybe maybe I'm a little bit stuck? Um, myself, was there any points that you can remember, or was it more of a gradual?
1: I think it was more of a gradual thing. I've, I, I'm very lucky in that I've um I grew up in a family where food was pretty much a non-event. That we, we would just ate; it was just fine. We had access to whatever we wanted. I did see in friends and friends of friends who came to uh, our house that they just went completely nuts when the Biscuit tin was opened, you know, I could see that, but that's more sort of realizations in retrospect. So I'm very mm-hmm. lucky that there, there weren't many food hang ups. I think my food hangup started when I did my master's in public health nutrition, and I learned the kind of standard um O-word rhetoric that was being taught, and the kind of, you, you know, you, you get the you get the public health messages drummed into you. Um and I think that is actually what made my relationship with food a little bit fractured because up until then i i did i couldn't care less I just ate what I wanted and it was fine and that's when i started started to become a little bit more um a bit more obsessed with what I was eating and what i wouldn't want to eat that kind of thing and the other thing which is interesting and I think a lot of nutritionists will probably um this will probably resonate with them is that it's almost like you are the the poster child for in inverted commas healthy eating so you always have to be the one who makes the inverted commas healthy choice um and and that's the sort of thing that you take on as you go along because you kind of Because you know it all, right? You know everything about nutrition. So therefore, you're trying to sort of fit into this stereotype. And -hmm. I think that's when, you know, that's when I realized, or or, or I'm realizing that now, rather, that that's what was happening. At the time, you're in it. You don't actually think much about it. You just think you're doing what the right thing to do Mm -hmm. is. Um, So personally, I think I, I kind of came off that when, I worked for a um a children's they called it lifestyle program I call it diet um you know I I did work for them for a while and um one of the mums was made to cry by my supervisor and that was a real shocker for me. I think that, that that's when I thought, no, this isn't right. There's something wrong here. The message is all wrong. You can't, you know, this is not helpful. This is not not good. And that's when I kind of jumped off the public health train and found intuitive eating.
0: That's, I mean, I think that's quite, a, I've, I've interviewed a couple of dietitians and nutritionists and actually, interestingly, a lot of the their thinking around um intuitive eating etc started when they were training when they were doing their training yeah, right. or when they just started working or mm-hmm. you know when when they saw things that they weren't
1: mm-hmm.
0: it just didn't sit right with them you know so yeah. it's definitely um
1: yeah you yeah. start questioning um you, there's two things you can just swallow it all and just not not be critical about any of the messages because to be honest with you that's the easier path to take yeah (laughs) because everyone else will confirm it and they will say yes that's what we know um but when you start critically evaluating and questioning and challenging some of those things that's when it becomes a lot harder for yourself um so you need to be prepared to do that because i had to unlearn a heck of a lot of stuff
0: And do you feel now very comfortable in your intuitive intuitive eating journey? Do you feel, you know, obviously on any given day we can have wobbles and we can Mm -hmm. feel differently, but do you eat what you want? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Do do you eat according to how you're feeling? Do you, sometimes you don't, or how, how does it work with you generally? Yeah.
1: Well, thank you for asking that. You know what? No, no one ever asks me that. I always I ask know. That. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, as Evelyn Trivelli says, for the most part, I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when I don't, that's because of practicalities more so yes. than... Um, not not knowing what I want to eat. Because, you know, if I fancy something that I haven't got in the house or I haven't got a clue how to cook, obviously I can't have that. Um, and the other thing that I, I just want to sort of stress with intuitive eating is that you don't always have to have exactly what you fancy. Sometimes something mm. that is along a theme or it kind of hits the spot in terms of you know what temperature what do you want it spicy do you want it mild do you want it sweet do you want it savory um that in and of itself can be helpful and then the other thing is it's not practical in a normal day to just focus on you know when are you hungry when are you full sometimes we have to anticipate our hunger in advance and eat before we have a 4 hour meeting because yeah. we know that yeah. during that meeting that's when we'll probably be hungry enough to eat but we can't eat so we need to anticipate the hunger and feed ourselves beforehand so it's all about learning these kind of things that 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 all help you to to nourish your body and to you know keep your energy levels up and to to feel better about you know, you have you know your life and your body and you how you feel. Do
0: you know what the best thing that I've learned from you is that I used to always have and I still always have <laughs> chocolate after my lunch yeah. and my dinner. Me too. Um, and, and I always wondered why, but, and I didn't feel satisfied without it. And I remember you talking about this at a retreat that we ran, and it is that little bit of satisfaction if I have a savoury lunch. I need something sweet to top it off and then I can get on with my day yes but if I haven't had it I I'm searching for it I'm like has anybody got anything <laughs> <laughs> and I used to think maybe is this wrong why am I thinking that but now I very much accept it as you know this is what my body just just wants to be satisfied mm-hmm. so that I can move on with my day mm-hmm. yeah. and it's Learning those little things about yourself and allowing yourself to feel satisfied when you eat is something that I no longer. I used to sort of feel shame about that, and now I embrace it. And you know, I really enjoy the fact that I need chocolate after. Yeah, (laughs) so (laughs) make sure there's always chocolate in the.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but I'm I'm totally with you. I I always have something sweet after my my lunch for sure because it is just rounds it off nicely. Yes. It's just a really nice way of of rounding off a meal. And I think you're, you're so right. It's the doing it without shame and without feeling guilty about it. And also by doing that and by allowing yourself and giving yourself full permission to have it without any conditions attached to it, you're less likely to then binge on whatever food it is later on in the day. It's just that's just what happens. And everyone who tries it will say, I'm completely gobsmacked that I didn't raid the chocolate yeah because oh, you can have it
0: whenever you want You, can you have it can, whenever you want. yeah exactly. and it's you know I it's called that that food habituation isn't yeah. it and it's yeah it's a really I did it myself I did the um with peanut butter because right. I have it I have a bit you of love a, a bit of
1: peanut butter <laughs> don't you
0: <laughs> and it my tummy doesn't love it so uh, you know my tummy doesn't feel great after peanut mm. butter but I just love it so much so mm. I was not buying it because mm-hmm. I, I was so worried about going to town on it. Mm-hmm. So then I just decided to stock up. <laughs> <laughs> and and then it just made it less interesting. Yeah. And so I have a spoonful, you know, every couple of days because mm-hmm. I, I love it. But I don't feel that urge. I need <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it is that habituation. And it, it sounds counterintuitive initially, but it absolutely works, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, and that sort of brings us nicely back to – what do they say in business terms? Circle back to trust. We're circling back to trust, and that's exactly what it is, isn't it? You need to let go so that you can trust that you are not just going to eat 20 jars of peanut butter. You need to trust that if you allow yourself to have it, your body will tell you, right, I've had enough now. It's fine. I don't Mm -hmm. need any more." Whereas if you don't trust and you control – that is when all of the kind of out-of-control eating happens. Yes. So, you know, it's it's one of those, as you said, very strange and possibly counterintuitive things is letting loose on the chocolates or the peanut butter or whatever it is, um, is actually going to lead to a more trusting relationship with food. Whereas you might think, oh my God, no, I will just be eating this nonstop. It's, it's literally not what's going to happen. But it takes a little bit of... Uh, faith and um once once you've done it and jumped into that feed first, you will realize actually this works. this is amazing. Every single person I've worked through habituation with has been completely and utterly gobsmacked yeah and said, I found half an eat half a half eaten chocolate bar or an unopened tub of ice cream how How is that even possible and it is it it's just so simple, but it really works.
0: So Ella, how can people work with you? Tell us how to where do you hang out? How can we get in touch with you? And how can we work with you?
1: I hang out in my local woodlands with my dog generally, but <laughs> <laughs> so um most of my work is online. So it's really helpful because then anybody in the world can work with me. I've got I've got a client in China. I've got people wow. all over the place. So um, it's very easy. You could just go to my website. And on the website is everything that you need to know about me, some free resources, um, my, my packages that I um, I run, and also a link to book a free discovery call, which um, is uh, I, I need to have that before um, I can sign anybody up so that I can screen for anything that I might not be the best person for and um, make sure that, you know, we have a rapport and that we can work together. So that's the first step. Um, That is for one-to-one work. Um, I also run an intuitive eating course for the Fabulous Kim at Body Image Fitness. Yeah, I loved it in that. We're in our fourth cohort at the moment. And that's for anybody who wants to sort of dip their toes into intuitive eating and wants to learn a little bit more about it before maybe committing to uh, one-to-one work. Um, and that's over at Body Image Fitness. And then I have a Facebook group as well for anybody who just wants to uh be in a community of like-minded people. It's a free group. Um, you could just join up by going to my Facebook page, which is Ella Law Nutrition. Um, and the, the group is called Permission to Eat Community. So wow. lots of different ways of finding me.
0: Lots. Um, I'm going to put all of those details in the show notes. But awesome. for now, thank, thank you, you, Ella. We may have to come back for part two, because I feel like mm-hmm. there's a lot more we can say. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure, Christine. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Have a lovely rest of your day. Hello. Thank you. Bye.